and welcome back to Is This Seat Taken? The podcast celebrating people who have many places to call home. We discuss what home means to different people and how that impacts culture, identity and finding our community wherever we are in the world. Today's guest is Amanda Cutting. She is a global theatre and intimacy director whose work takes her all over the world. Amanda is based in Calgary, um, but she and I met when she came to direct at a Shakespeare festival that I used to be part of. And we've been firm friends ever since taking our first show to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival last summer. I find Amanda a really interesting character. She has a lot to say about grounding around the world and culture and particularly culture clash and uh, how to interpret language um, when you're doing something as tender and private as intimacy direction on sets but I'll leave her to say more about that. Enjoy this episode with Amanda Cutting. How have you how have you been spending lockdown? Have you had much chill out time or has it been a lot of prep for promo for the India film? Um the the first bit of lockdown uh I was like so happy to be home. <laughs> because I haven't been home in ages uh, for at least a long period of time. So all of the to-do lists of things I wanted to do, like purge the house and organize and go through my child's closet was like on my list of things to do. So mm-hmm. we kind of plowed through a whack of that and I got busy bead, which I think is like step one of lockdown is like, how can I organize, clean, repaint and renovate my place? Uh, yeah. Because I'm looking at it every single day, 24 hours a day. And then um, the second part was like finding like more quality time with my kid. Uh, So we would do things like board games, uh, a lot of card games. And that's um, very wholesome. Yeah, like it was really needed uh, for us to be able to, to have that time again together. That's not just like binge watching tv shows uh Mm. because you know a that's not super healthy for kids and um that's not really quality time unless it's like little spurts here and there of it so yeah we got like puzzles everybody's into puzzles these days and frankly Mm -hmm. i haven't done a puzzle in ages (laughs) i forgot how much fun it is no i can't remember the last time i did a puzzle i think i used to do them with my grandma when i was little and we would get like a thousand piece puzzle and see if we could do it over the christmas break yeah. But yeah, it doesn't That's feel like, like something you do as a one. grown up. <laughs> no, no, like maybe when you're older. Um, but my mom gets one every year for Christmas and, and she was very much into them. And then I was just like, okay, how do I fill the time outside of like my child, helping my child with his schoolwork? And mm-hmm. then, I mean, how much fun is that for kids? <laughs> Big <laughs> like, fat zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not much fun for the teachers either, speaking from the other side of it. <laughs> No, and I feel for them too. And they're doing a fantastic job trying to support the children in a, a new and unique way. And I mean, it's definitely traumatic for them. So yeah, so we were doing stuff like that. And then um, bike riding. We do a lot of bike riding and badminton and that kind of thing. And then I was lucky enough that we have a family home up at Sylvan. So I um, figured, okay, we need a change of location. We got to like over a month and a half of lockdown where the stir crazy starts to kick in. And mm-hmm. I was like, time for a change of venue. Let's mm-hmm. pack up, go somewhere else and lock down again in that area. And like, 
you know, to be courteous uh, to the people who are locked down wherever they are. You know, you don't stop. You basically drive from location A to location B and you unpack there. Mm. Um, because otherwise you're putting yourself at risk and a bunch of other people at risk. Mm. So no, that was sort of like the, the key option. thing. Mm. No, that's yeah. really cool. And because it must be a really strange thing for you because pre-lockdown you were spending more time on planes than you were off of planes. Um, oh, so, completely. <laughs> so I wanted to know how you keep yourself connected when your feet don't touch the ground. So are there things that you do to kind of um, land in a new place? Yeah. So, I mean, like it, it basically starts with when I'm flying. Um, I have a, a specific suitcase and travel bag. Well, I actually have three of them and they're all built the same depending on the length of stay that I'm going to be somewhere. Um, but in that, for the airplane, I carry like a soft eye mask and um, I have wave music and meditation music downloaded onto my phone. I use Headspace a lot. Uh, one of my mm-hmm. uh, good friends exposed me to that. Uh, not a paid commercial. Um, <laughs> but <clears throat> I absolutely loved it because it allowed me to find serenity wherever I go. Mm. Um, and uh, then I have like this really cool essential oil spray that I use to just kind of refresh myself before I'm landing. And I have one that's a calming one that I use for when I'm on the airplane. Mm-hmm. And um, those are kind of the things of how I set myself up for success on the plane uh, and keeping myself hydrated. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, when I get to this space, uh, I found this great little essential oil travel kit, which comes with a mini diffuser. Cute. And it sounds a bit like lush to do, but uh, it's actually really made a difference in me establishing like home, quote unquote, anywhere I go, because I can just like, it's probably about maybe six inches tall. So it doesn't take up much space, anything you're packing. Um, it diffuses for like four hours and I just set that up and put in, I have like a relax, uh, re- rejuvenate and revive. Um, and then like sort of one that feels more like a spa, which is <laughs> divine. And so depending on what I need, I'll, put, I'll set that up the first thing I do when I get into the space so that it kind of just creates that memory of this is my new home for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've learned to like pack my self-care kit that I need with me. So things like my own personal like face wash and creams that are really good quality so that I'm not like, depending on where I'm staying, not using just the hotel brand cream because it, it doesn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, bubble baths make a really mm-hmm. big difference after a long, a long time. Uh, sometimes a nice uh, glass or two of wine definitely helps. <laughs> nice to have those creature comforts wherever you go (laughs) totally totally and like it's funny though like on on some of the planes that I travel because I I'm traveling like several times a week um uh, it's quite funny because they'll know me by name or like the last time I was on a plane this uh flight attendant was just like I've seen you a lot haven't I or is this like deja vu I'm like no no I'm I've seen you like twice this week and she's like okay Mm. (laughs) which I suspect is a you know a side effect of being a flight attendant is you constantly think you're seeing the same people which yeah I'm sure they yeah they must have (laughs) constant deja vu because I mean it is intense you have the most intense flight schedule I think of anyone I've ever met 
And, oh, completely. Um, I guess for, for the benefit of people listening who um, won't have come across your work before, um, what could you just talk us through a bit about your directing and your intimacy directing and what is causing you to be doing all of this traveling? Sure. Yeah. So um, as a profession, I am an intimacy coordinator and director, which means that I uh, coordinate uh, intimate moments, uh, things like uh, sex scenes or kisses, um, sometimes uh, non-consensual scenes for film and television, as well as for stage. Um, this means that I'm helping establish consent between the two partners, uh, understanding what the director wants for a vision and collaborating with the director on choreographing, just like you would a dance movement, all the movements that are required for that scene. And then supervising that, if it's for film and television, during the filming process to make sure that consent doesn't change during the process, or if it does, how we support it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's, that's that side of the job. And then I'm an international director, so... I fly about the world directing theater mostly and sometimes film and um, yeah and creating art in some of the most extraordinary places which I feel very honored and privileged to be able to do and I'm lucky that I have a supportive family that can assist with me in that as well. Mm. No it's um it's really incredible kind of watching your career grow before my very eyes and with, with the kind of intensity of the work that you do, um, to what extent do you think it's important for you to be able to develop relationships with people really quickly when you arrive in new places? You know, you're arriving in a new country, a new culture with a new set of people. Do you, and you have to then be advocating for people on sets. You know, how do you go about creating those relationships? I mean, part of it is doing some research on the culture that you're going into and, um, and, and not going in ignorant. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's part of due diligence, is to understand where you are, um, how people socialize there, what are the, the societal norms, what are the do's and don'ts of that mm-hmm. society, um, and then to do your best to be respectful and follow suit. You, know, you can't insert yourself as a foreigner and expect to be fully embraced. So um, the quickest way is to, to follow the society that you are the minority in. Mm-hmm. And um, then out of that is to just remember that everybody's human. <laughs> like, it's the simplest thing. And often the number one thing that we all forget is that everybody is human. And, you know, they have the same needs, wants, and desires that we all do, sometimes at different levels. And so making sure that you can support those, understand or empathize with those is really critical. Um, and just finding that, finding that moment of connection, which usually revolves, like if you're dealing with artists, artists geek out about art. That's, that's the simplest thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, finding what it is and, and geek out with that person about that art and, and be your, this sounds so woo, but be your authentic self. Like there's no... When I was younger, I felt like I had to be something other than myself mm-hmm. um, because I wouldn't get accepted as just this bubbly, curvaceous, outgoing, slightly eccentric woman. Um, <laughs> and what I found later in my career was just like, be me, embrace mm-hmm. my enthusiasm, embrace my kooky creativity and spur of the moment mentality, I suppose. And that I am... Uh, 
I am what people want. Yeah. So you, you and your personality are the reason that you were booked in the first place. That and your skill at what you do. You know. Are there? Do you have any examples of um, times where it's been challenging with culture clash or things being lost in translation? Because so I know that one of your latest projects was in India, and that must have been very different to anything you've ever done before. Can you speak a bit to that? Um, yeah, I mean, like, sometimes they're not as drastic as one might think. Um, it, again, it comes down to research, but even, like, working in India um, was a fantastic experience in a lot of ways because the people are so warm and kind and embracing, and they really do want you to be, like, an auxiliary member of their family, which really helps when you are, you know, 18 hours from your actual home by plane. So, um, you know, they really help you feel at home and make sure that you have what you need to be successful. The, um, I mean, the language barrier was obviously one of the biggest challenges there and making sure that what I'm saying can be translated the right way and not misunderstood. Um, or like if people did have an understanding of English, which a lot of people on the cruise did, um, it may not be at the same level of vocabulary. So making sure that like, that I'm not using super, super big vocabulary mm -hmm. um, in order to make sure that it's uh, comprehended correctly. Or um, there's certain things that we use in our English language that don't really translate into um, mm -hmm. Hindi. So trying to figure out a different way to explain that. Um, those were sort of the, the challenges there. Uh, culturally, um, you know, it's still very much like women are very well uh, valued and appreciated, but it's still very a male dominant industry. So, um, you know, finding a way for my voice to be heard in the room and that um, because the culture is very stern when it's, well, it's not, maybe not stern is that the right word, but like um, conservative. Maybe. Yeah, it's conservative. When when they're giving instructions, it's very it's very direct, and it's mm -hmm. uh, it could be interpreted to an outsider as something that might be on the level of, um, uh, like yelling sometimes, mm. uh, and it's just because of like you're on set and you're trying to communicate with so many people, um, and and so like being mindful that like they're not actually yelling; they're just trying to get people's attention. Uh, this isn't. Um, you know someone being rude or disrespectful to another person mm -hmm. so like they're very passionate and sometimes that passionate can be misinterpreted so that having that been, awareness is I was just thinking that must have been really jarring as well because so much of what you do is about like intimacy and tenderness and nuance as well so yeah. having the challenge of trying to find simplified language to make sure that everyone can understand when what you're doing is trying to create really nuanced intimate moments yeah. between people like that feels like a contradiction and then combine that with <laughs> shouting <laughs> and you just yes. it, it it sounds chaotic to say the least it, yeah yeah I mean it, it's creative chaos which I mean I guess is one of the areas I thrive in but, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I can attest to that <laughs> <laughs> but it is also like it, it, it was a challenge to try to figure out there's there's a subtle cultural thing in India where you know, if they're agreeing or saying yes, they sort of nod their head to the left and the right, which to a Western world is in like either indifference or unsure. Mm. So like the sort of the, 
this sideways and unfortunately for your podcast people can't really see but it's basically like as if you're touching your ear to your left and right shoulder that's what Mm -hmm. they do on a smaller scale and that's that's them agreeing or consenting to something which for me I had to consistently remind myself that that's them consenting that's not them being wishy-washy about something because when we're clearing Mm -hmm. consent with a, a performer it's really important that we're getting a a clear defined yes, not a mm, maybe. Mm. Um, but that's what that would clock for me is that that's a maybe. So we had to make sure that I would be like, for my brain, um, can you please uh, articulate a verbal yes? Mm-hmm. And then I would look for other cues that are uh, international between us body wise that would tell me for sure that that was a yes and not someone just saying yes because they felt, um, you know, perhaps pressure from production or pressure to perform or whatever that might be mm. so and that, did you that find, was a struggle did you find kind of universal cues eventually was there a way that you kind of got to the point where things were internationally recognized on both sides yeah like there's certain like body tick uh ticks that we have when we get anxious or nervous that uh, manifest doesn't so far in my experience doesn't really matter the cultural boundaries they manifest the same um, mm. really focusing on eye contact uh, mm-hmm. uh, because like if you're getting um, a break in eye con- on contact often that means that there's a lack of confidence which means there's unsurety and then figuring out what that is mm. so those are those kind of things that are um, really critical uh, but the overall response there was incredible um, the women that we worked with were so grateful to have us and um, you know, one of them uh, in particular said, you know, she felt she'd never done this kind of level of intimacy before, but had absolute confidence in doing it because I was there and because she knew that um, what all the steps and moves were. And that made a world of difference. And she's like, sometimes on sets, we discuss sort of an idea of it, but in general, we're just basically told to, you know, make out with this person or mm. to just give it a shot and she's like the unsurety of just giving it a shot is um you know nerve-wracking it must be so frightening and you know you and I have had this conversation a thousand times before but um I think particularly for people who have never heard of intimacy directing before you know it once you start working with an intimacy director it becomes totally absurd that you would ever not have one um, it seems like it's it's a line that once you've crossed it, you can't go back because, yeah. you know, how on earth have we gone this long, you know, pre Me Too and the Time's Up movement, how on earth have we gone this long without having any kind of choreography and advocacy on set? You know, yeah. it was exactly like you said about dance or, you know, if you were going to use any kind of fighting, professional theatres and film sets would never, ever work without a fight choreographer. And, you know, right. it's, it's extraordinary that we've gone this far without having intimacy directors on sets. Which is and like the number one comment that I always hear after people see what I do. Like, at first, the initial instinct from a lot of people is, oh, I'm the sex police. Yeah. Which <laughs> is And hilarious. you're like, yeah, I'll take that and run. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, it, it can be a little bit unnerving to people if they think that I'm like the sex police. And I'm like... I, 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 I like to say that I'm, I'm here as a, a creative movement coach, maybe not a sex police. I want to make sure that everybody feels confident, but I don't want people to think that I'm restricting creativity. Consequently, due to me being on set, I feel like the creativity 
heightens and Mm -hmm. and we come up with more innovative things because of people's boundaries because Mm -hmm. we're supporting those things because we're not being like this is the tropic nature of this scene therefore we're doing xyz position which Mm -hmm. i mean if you look at the the history of intimate scenes in media uh, they tend to look the same you could almost copy and paste one show to another there's Mm -hmm. like a formulaic aspect to it and when you're now working within people's articulated boundaries because they've told you them you then get to be more dynamic and more creative because of that Um, and Mm -hmm. then there's a lot more variety that you're seeing uh, when you're looking at content that's created with intimacy coordinators and directors versus not Mm, it's more playful you know and that's what actors love as well I think it's um and one thing you know that I find fascinating about intimacy directing is it it benefits everyone there is no one that loses out from working with an intimacy director because you know it it supports the actors and the artists and it allows them to be more playful and breed creativity and but it also supports production companies because it means that they're covered if God forbid anything was to happen or, you know, someone was to claim something, you know, they have that third party to mediate any discomfort, which means that those situations don't come about anymore. And rightly, you know, production companies are being policed a lot more closely since the Me Too movement and, and prior to that. Um, so, and it's exciting to see countries like India jumping on the intimacy bandwagon because hopefully that means that you know well we know that it's the start of the global spread of this movement and it it is a movement um and where do you think you know your your work's taken you all around Canada to the US we we're in the UK together um where it's taking you to India where do you think it's next where would you like to be next um I'd like to bring it to like Asia, uh, in particular, like places like Japan and Korea uh, that are doing some very edgy web content as well and, mm-hmm. and helping facilitate um, that, that safety area. Um, I know my colleagues uh, are doing, who are in the UK, are working in like Italy and Spain and, um, you know, a lot of the Nordic and um, Slovakian countries and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really neat to see it super embraced and it's starting to like filter and, and infiltrate itself into the different countries. Um, we've had an intimacy coordinator in Africa. Like, wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's going there. Like, I know I'm the first intimacy coordinator in India, but they did have in 2019 an intimacy supervisor in India. Okay. Uh, previous on it a a web series I believe that was filmed there um, which is a little bit different often the intimacy supervisors uh, could be that uh, an intimacy coordinator from overseas has coordinated it and choreographed it and then their job is to make sure that that's executed because the coordinator can't travel for whatever reason right or um, uh, you know they've discussed it and they've done the consent process uh, and then they're there to make sure that it, it organizes on set but um, yeah, it's uh, for me. I think like going into um, you know like Japan and Korea and, and those places would be 
I love culture shocks. So a great <laughs> eye-opening because I've never been there before. Um, but it's also another form of media that I've been watching quite a bit and seeing, like, where can we support this industry? Same thing, like, mm-hmm. uh, um, my uncle is East Indian, and so uh, I've been raised with a, an understanding of um, the Indian culture and... I went to pujas and gerbas and things like that and um, loved watching Bollywood films. <laughs> so I had a, 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 a simple understanding. I wouldn't say like a vast, but a simple understanding uh, that I think really supported me in that project and consequently actually had to help choreograph a, a um, Bollywood dance sequence. <laughs> that, was that is the, the dream, right? <laughs> Yeah, it was quite it was quite fun actually because they decided last minute we had a sort of a, a bit of a script change and how we, how we were going to do this. So I, you know, took inspiration from a lot of Bollywood videos and choreographed something with this fantastic artist, and um, it was cheeky and fun and um, very much like I would say sort of the Bollywood of uh, the nineteen seventies, nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies. So mm. yeah. And I was thinking about this. I, we were, I had a conversation with someone else for the podcast, actually, and we were talking about um, like dating culture post-COVID and what the impacts will be. And it made me think of you. And, you know, do you think that you will have additional challenges on sets now while we transition out of this COVID period with, with us having to socially distance for so long? Do you think that will have an impact on your work on set when you go back to work? I mean, I can't see that it wouldn't. I don't know what that's going to look like. I mean, it's too soon to tell. I know that um, Australia and Spain have come out with, and and the UK has come out with as well, some guidelines and and protocols for when sets reopen after COVID. Um, I mean, they're not, uh, they don't seem as much different as what we're being asked to do now, like wash hands and so forth. There are things like, some of the countries are saying they're not going to do any kissing or if it's required, both performers have to be tested. And that, uh, I mean, in the UK, they're looking at locking down crews, meaning that like the crew wow. will all basically bunker together and the performers will bunker together. And so they know that that's like a quarantine unit and they don't go out anywhere and that's how they're getting products done. And, um, you know, it's, it's a creative way of doing it. Uh, like the fringe all over again <laughs> yeah except for without the extra you know 30,000 people <laughs> sure just that little apartment and, yeah exactly just the little apartment but um you know I, I think the the things that people perhaps aren't clocking yet is that having been in lockdown for so long we're gonna have to re-socialize ourselves mm. um that there's a lot of fear um like I'm seeing in social media, people being afraid to even go out for groceries. Mm-hmm. So then leaving the home, leaving what they've then created as their space of serenity or their safe space. Um, there's going to be a little bit more, there could be more anxiety in people. And so that's something that beyond the, the safety, we're talking the mental health uh, mm-hmm. of people that needs to be noted in mindfulness that perhaps, you know, shooting for 12 hour days may not be the ideal situation um, mm-hmm. because people's uh, capacity uh, to sustain that um, mm-hmm. while we're transitioning. I don't know. There's, there's so many things that need to be taken into consideration. And I, I hope that we remember 
coming through this that we're human and that we treat mm. each other with respect and grace um, and patience um, as everybody adjusts. Uh, it may be a very smooth transition. It may not be. And um, it's just really tough right now to tell what that's going to look like. I do think that with restrictions come beautiful creativity. Mm. And I think there's definite ways that we can tell passionate, intimate scenes um, while respecting, um, you know, physical safety and elements of, um, you know, hygiene and things like that. Yeah. Like we've done it before and, and, and certain cultures have had to do it because of what they're showing, what the restrictions are within their cultural beliefs or yeah, their, their country's true. beliefs. So I think we can, we can cr come through with some beautiful creative things. That's it. We need to definitely see it as an opportunity to think outside the box, I think, because there's going to be a huge desire to see what art comes out of this period of time. And it, it might be that showing different ways to be intimate that don't require us to touch each other is actually what is, well, what we know a lot about now and what, what we'll want to see on our screens and in theatres, who knows. <laughs> I mean, we'll probably see resurgence of Renaissance flirting. I mean, a little ankle, <gasps> a little wrist, oh, a little yes. eye contact. <laughs> You're speaking my language. Renaissance flirting is what goes on in this house. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, fun. I like that. That's, that's going to be in the uh, title of this. Renaissance flirting and creative chaos. Um, so my final question that I ask everyone is in light of everything that you do and all the places that you go, what does home mean to you and where is home to you? I mean, it, it sounds a bit cheesy, but home is where your heart is. So for me, that's doing, that's doing art. I mean, I, I'm very mindful of connecting with my family and my child and I have internet dates all the time <laughs> uh, uh, when I'm away. Uh, and that's probably one of the biggest challenges, but I try, uh, within my career, I, I find the heart in it all. I find the love and the passion and the camaraderie. And I mean, England is like second home to me now. Mm. <laughs> um, and even I try to stay in similar places so that it has a sense of, of home. Uh, mm -hmm. like if I'm staying closer to London, than my place up in Sheffield, then, um, you know, it's, it is, it's home is where the heart is. Mm. And have there been moments in your life that have kind of brought that into clearer focus? Oh, sure. Um, Edinburgh, for sure. Yeah. That's <laughs> one of them. I mean, you're in a city surrounded by a bunch of people who geek out to the same thing that you do, which is art. Pick, name it, any form of art. The, the city is actually physically vibrating with creative energy. Mm. Um, and uh, being able to work with such inspirational, um, brave, collaborative artists that are extraordinarily talented and, might I say, slightly underlooked, <laughs> um, are, uh, you know, was an honor, an absolute mm -hmm. honor uh, to see how they, they work and bring things to a table and to... Um, to work in that city was like a bucket list. So yeah, um, definitely 
definitely one of the areas for me. Um, you know, I've always wanted to go to India. Uh, I mean, working in a Bollywood production, like that was sort of like the unreachable, I think. Uh, so doing that and being able to see a bit of India and to submerge myself within that culture was so much fun. Um, I've made some incredible partnerships and relationships with people. I've worked with some very, um, you know, large headliners who, um, you know, are just, they're, they're lovely human beings. Mm. They're absolutely lovely human beings. And I think that people forget, like I said, for, people forget that they're human um, and, and just see the art or the artist um, or the product, perhaps not even the artist, but they see the product of the person, not the artist. Yeah. And, and those, those are extraordinary opportunities to, to see the person behind the product. And um, I think you have an incredible yeah. skill at developing relationships all over the world. So you're, you're one of those people that, you know, if I was to say, oh, I'm going to wherever, then you would be able to connect me with someone there because of relationships that you've made in the past. You're a very, um, yeah, we, we talk on the podcast about the term global citizen quite a lot, but to yeah. me, you kind of fall into that bracket of like a citizen of the world. Um, yeah. And I think the joy is that what connects, you know, what connects you and me and what connects you with a lot of the people in your life is just the love of theatre particularly um and film but you know for you and I it's certainly theatre and you know and I love that we met entirely by serendipity because you yes. turned up at the Shakespeare Festival one year and then that was it and we've had this amazing relationship since then and I feel like those moments of serendipity can happen anywhere between anyone and that's what makes it so special and because there's that golden thread of theatre and art and creating that holds us all together there is a real home Absolutely. in that. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And you get to, you, I don't know, I think I was learning about my strengths as like a leader from a, a workshop that I was taking and as a, as a person. And one of my strengths is my love. <sighs> uh, and and it, it sounds really funny to say it like out loud, but yeah, I, I try to take everybody at uh, at themselves, you know, at what not what they're showing me, but what's inside of them, you know? Mm. And, um, and because of that, I think um, I love deeply. I love hard. Uh, and um, that alternatively makes me also very vulnerable, which I think mm. is one of the reasons why people connect to me so quickly mm. and I can establish relationships so quickly is because they see my vulnerabilities. So that means that consequently they end up wanting to open up as well. Mm -hmm. um there's there's less of that wall that you have to break down or that mask like I'm I am what you get this is me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's okay if that isn't your thing mm. um, no and it, and it really is a gift it is a gift um yes. I'm so so grateful for your time as ever and thrilled at the success of the India project so cool Thank reading you. all that press <laughs> like you've done such an amazing job so congratulations Thank you so much to Amanda for giving me her time to sit down and record the podcast. I don't know about you, but I found that so interesting, particularly thinking about how intimacy on sets is going to have to change, but also how our 
expectation of intimacy is going to change and what we're going to want to see is maybe going to be slightly different. It's definitely a unique time to be talking about intimacy directing. I'm going to leave a link to IDI UK, Intimacy Directors International UK, uh, in the show notes below if you want to learn more about what they're doing. I'll also leave links to Amanda's website and her Instagram in the show notes, as usual, uh, if you'd like to get hold of her. Thank you so much for listening. Leave a review and rate the podcast if you're listening on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated. I'd love to get this pod out to as many people as possible. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Amanda and see you on the next one.